morning. Hope you are in, enjoying this uh, nice weather. I wish I could take credit for it, but it's not because of me. Um, let me just make a few announcements before I get started. First of all, um, there's no Kids for Christ this Wednesday, and I want to make that now so I can erase this. Um, Jennifer is going to be out of town, so so no Kids for Christ this Wednesday. That'll pick. We'll still have prayer and Bible study, of course. So hopefully we'll see you then. And then uh, secondly, we have a a meeting right after the morning service. So we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Then following the Lord's Supper, we'll have a meeting in here for those who are interested in going to Uruguay. We're going in October, and uh, this meeting is just informational. So you don't you're not obligated to go on the trip if, if you come to the meeting, but but if you want to find out more about it, how much it costs, what we're planning to do, what the exact dates are, um, this will be the time for you to come. So um, I would encourage you to come. If you're thinking about it, uh, just come and find out and uh, and then be praying and see if that would be something you'd be interested in doing and ministering to them and uh, love to love to have you come. All right, well, this morning we want to continue our study of God. Uh, we are in the theology proper section of systematic theology. We're trying to uh, work our way through the the doctrines of the Scripture, and we start with the doctrine of God. And I said that uh, in order for us to understand ourselves, we need to understand who God is. And God has revealed Himself in the, to us in the Scriptures. We've looked at His existence. We've looked at His his goodness and his greatness. We broke down his attributes into two main, um, two main sections. That is the attributes of his greatness, the things that we cannot reproduce, we can't mimic. That he is all-knowing, that he is everywhere present. We can't mimic those things. We simply stand in awe of God because of them, and we recognize that we are responsible creatures because he is sovereign over all things. We are responsible. Uh, to give ourselves to to be accountable to him, and then last week we looked at his attributes of his goodness, which have to do with his moral character, and we said that we can mimic those. God made us to mimic those. He designed us to worship him, to have fellowship with him to to be faithful like he is, to be holy like he is, to be loving, to be gracious and uh, and uh, so we looked at those last week this week we want to look at uh, God's creative ability, the fact that He is Creator, and that He uh, that He uh, He controls all things providentially. All right, so let me begin by um, just looking at a definition of creationism. This is what you picked up the old Encyclopedia Britannica hardbound copy that they they used to make. Just went out of print uh, just recently, but um, or at least they're not making any newer editions. This is a definition that comes from it. It says, Creationism is the counter-revolutionary fundamentalist theory or doctrine that postulates that matter, the various forms of life in the world, were created by God out of nothing. Any idea what that word in italics there means? Counter-revolutionary? Okay. Uh, we could use the word uh, reactionary. Okay, but yeah, exactly. It goes against the norm. So what... 
the way that it looks like from their perspective is that creationism actually has come along after the norm has already been set up. What do you think the norm is? Evolution. So really, we could we could take this R out of here and say counter-evolutionary. And, and it would be the same thing because they, what they've said now is this revolution that has come along, okay, evolution, this revolution has come along and has established itself as the truth. And now creationism is co- trying to go back to what they thought was was reality. And um, and so this is a very dangerous way of looking at the scriptures. Um, so so when we come to the book of Genesis, or this whole story that's laid out there about God creating, is that just a myth? Is it just a myth? Is it a fictional story that Moses put in there to keep people's interest, or to um, to try to figure out a way of how we all came into being? And obviously the answer is no. And 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 there is no possible way that it could be counter-revolutionary. It's actually was established far before even evolutionism uh, came into to, uh, thought. So, we see this throughout the Bible, this idea of creation, that God created. It begins in Genesis chapter 1, obviously. The very first five words of the Bible say, in the beginning, God created. Okay, It establishes the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout the Bible, the Scripture writers affirm this. In Job 33.4, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty has given me life. Um, in Isaiah 40.28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. God is the creator and then revelation 4:11 speaking to god you are worthy o lord our god for you have created all things and by your will they were created and have their being now why does it matter that god created all things why is it important to us that god created well first of all it's important because it is essential to our understanding of ourselves that that we can't rightly know ourselves in relationship to God if we don't understand God as the Creator. Secondly, it's important because it shows that we have meaning, that the distant world didn't come into to being because of an accident, right? It came into being because God specifically designed it so that every single action, every single thing that goes on in life, every circumstance, is a result of God's sovereign plan. And then thirdly, creation is important that God created because uh, we recognize that we are accountable. As we saw uh, two weeks ago with the attributes of God's greatness, that because God is great, we have to recognize that we are are um, responsible to Him, that we're accountable for our actions, that, that He as the Creator has the right to judge us. Without a Creator, we, we really would have no judge because things kind of just uh, happened. They just came into being by accident. But that's not the case with our Creator. Um, that might be a little bit of a problem. Well, we'll just have to make, make do. I don't want to ruin that. I'll, I'll read for you, okay? Number We're going to look at nine statements about 
why um, or about creation from the scriptures, and they'll answer at least three questions: How did God create? Why did He create? And what is God's relationship with creation? All right. But before I get into this first one, I've already uh, put it up there, but. I want to talk about um, how we balance, and I've talked about this before, but I just want to remind you about how we balance Scripture with science. Okay. Uh, now, there, there are lots of theories as to how we ought to look at these two things, Scripture and science. But what we cannot do is put, ever put science over Scripture. Okay. Because if science starts to determine what we believe, then Scripture will quickly be dismissed as false or as myth or as legend. Okay, uh, We don't want to put it on the same place as the Scriptures. Because now when we see inconsistencies in the Scripture, supposed inconsistencies, and then we look at science, well, science now proves that Scripture is not right. Then, then Scripture is on the same plane as, as science in that case. We, and we get ourselves into lots of danger. Okay, scripture is always over science because God, God, God spoke, and it came to us through His His Word. Now, script, now science ultimately will support Scripture, and that's why you have lots of great Christian scientists. I hope you've uh, had a chance to get down to the Creation Museum down there in uh, near Louisville. Um, great, great uh, testimony to God's to God's design and and how he put things together. Lots of great scientists down there who who look at science with the right presuppositional pre pre-thinking, pre-understanding of of uh, the scriptures. They come with this assumption already that the scriptures are true and that God is true. And so when we come to this data, this scientific data, we're going to determine this data, or we're going to evaluate this data based on what the Scriptures say. And that's how we ought to do it as well. Alright, the Scriptures are trustworthy. There's, whenever there's an apparent conflict between science and the Scriptures, the Scripture is, it, trump, is going to trump it. It ought to trump it. Alright, so, uh, as we approach this idea of creation we find in Genesis a reliable historical account of it. And so we're going to look at nine biblical statements about creation. So first, God created by His Word. God created by His Word. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll spend most of our time here. I'm going to point you to several other passages and I'll probably just put them up on the screen for you and uh, quote them for you. But but we're going to spend most of our time here in Genesis. Okay, God created... So this will answer the question, how did God create? And one of the answers, one of the ways we can answer that is God created by His Word. That God calls all things into existence by His Word. Notice verse 3. It's the beginning of the creative act. Then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters, and so on. So throughout this first chapter, you have these three words. Then God said, ten times that same phrase is used. That God literally spoke the universe into existence by His Word. God spoke. 
and it was done. And uh, throughout the Scriptures, you're going to find that, that the source of life, that the source of any life is God speaking. The source of spiritual life is that God speaks through His Word. You see this example in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 37, where the dry bones are there and Ezekiel starts to preach to the dry bones. He's speaking God's Word to them and they start to come to life and, and take on flesh and so on. Um, that's an example of God speaking and bringing life. That's how it happens. When God speaks, there is life. You have an example of this in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, of course, who is dead and in the grave, had been in there for three or four days, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. When God speaks, life life is, is brought into being. Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Okay, So that's the point we're trying to, to focus on here, that God created by His Word. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That will really speak to our next point. That what is made was not made out of things in, that, that are visible. All right, And so that does lead us to the next point that God created the universe out of nothing. Theologians call this ex nihilo, which is a Latin uh, phrase that means out of nothing, that God created without the use of pre-existing materials. I mean, try. I'm not sure what types of uh, creative ability you have, but maybe you like to, to restore cars or, or you like to... Um, do little craft projects or whatever it is, but try to imagine making one of those things. Okay, building a car, making a craft without the use of any pre-existing materials. And that's the power of our God. He didn't merely take, you know, some little lump of clay or some uh, a ball of atoms or something and start mixing them together and and now he's going to come up with creation instead. He made everything out of nothing. That means that all that exists was begun by God's act. That, that God brought it all into existence. Revelation 4.11 says that He created all things. And, uh, and again, this means that everything that God made has a purpose. We're going to talk about what that purpose is here in a minute. Um, and that purpose is rooted in God that all things were, were created for a specific purpose. So when God said, let there be light, He made that for a purpose. When He said, let the, the, let the seas be divided from the heavens, He did it for a purpose. When He created man, when He created animals, He did it for a purpose. And that purpose, obviously, is to glorify Himself. Notice this uh, statement that I put, put in here. It says, our satisfaction is most complete when we are doing what God made us to do. Our satisfaction... Do you find yourself unsatisfied or frustrated in life? Your satisfaction is most complete when you are doing what God made you to do. And that is to enjoy Him, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. That's what eternity is going to be about. And what God has allowed you to do is to be able to enjoy that now, to enjoy Him now. And uh, And if you're not doing that, then that's, uh, I would say that is the reason that you are not satisfied. Now, there is a difference between God and His universe. 
Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. The psalmist is saying there that before creation, you are God. You are everlasting. You were there before creation. That is, the universe is not eternal. The universe had a beginning and the universe will have an end. But God does not. God is eternal. And so, so while the universe is temporal, God is not. So, nothing existed before God. Nothing exists apart from God. And so, because He made all things, that makes Him the ruler of all things. And so, that means also that only He deserves to be worshipped. All right, let me give you one more and then I'll ask for questions. Number three, God created all things, both visible and invisible, both in the heavens and in the earth. God created all things, both visible and invisible, both in the heavens and in the earth. Listen to this statement from John chapter 1, verse 3, perhaps a verse you're familiar with. Through Him, that is Christ, all things came into being, and apart from Him, nothing came into the being that has come into being. Okay, There's no exception clause there. Whatever has come into being has come into being because of Jesus. That is, God the Son, as a result of His creative ability. So that means that creation includes not just the things that we see, but the things that we don't see. That includes things like the angels and demons. And it includes things that are too small to see, like neutrons and electrons and protons. Um, And God also created another, lots lots of other things that we don't see, but, but heaven and hell. We don't see either one of those, but God created both of them. And so, uh, we recognize that God created all things. This is affirmed in the, the Old and the New Testament. Here you see it in the New Testament. Let me show you one from the Old, from Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You've made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Okay, so everything that's in the heavens, all the creatures that live in heaven, those are all created by God. And then in Colossians 1.16, Paul says that, that in Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. There it is right there. Alright, so God created by His Word. God created everything that is made out of nothing and God created all things. That there is nothing outside of what God created. He created it all. Alright, any questions or comments on those first three? Alright, number four. Pretty obvious one, but God created somebody and Eve. See there. He created Adam and Eve. Alright, look there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Someone read that for us. And the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became 
All right, and then can you read verses 21 and 22, Jonathan? 21 and 22? Yes, please. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. All right, so what we see here is that God created man and woman in a personal way, in a special personal way. He had been saying, and uh, then God said, let there be light. Then God said, let the, let the waters form, so on. And then He comes to man and He takes man and makes him from the dust of the ground and He breathes into him. There's this personal action that, 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 is, taken pla- that is taking place in God's creative act of man and woman. And He takes the, the rib from the man, of course, and creates the woman. And this shows us that that although we may be like animals in some ways, we are very different from animals, aren't we? We are created in God's image. Okay? Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that we are made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. They don't say God, that is the Trinity, doesn't say that, that let's make animals in our image. Animals are not made in the image of God. So what does this mean? That God has made us into His image. And when I say us here, by the way, with, with regard to God's image, I'm talking about every single human. Okay, Whether they are mentally deficient, whether they're a small child, whatever, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, every single person is made in God's, in God's image. This means that morally we are made like God. That that not not in perfection again. We we need to God needs to work in us to move to this place. But we are now have the capacity for worship. Animals do not have the capacity for worship like we do. Now obviously they can bring glory to God because God created them, but but they don't consciously worship God. Okay, they don't wake up in the morning and think. Kind of hungry right now. Wonder what it's going to be like to worship God later. They don't have those types of thoughts, as far as I know. Uh, next, intellectually, okay, this has we have the capacity for knowledge, for growth in knowledge that we can know more and more about God. Animals can't; they're they're uh, instinctive creatures. Rationally, we reflect God that we we can have rational thoughts. We can think two plus two equals four. Animals cannot. Okay, so what, the reason I'm trying to compare us or contrast us to animals is to show you that God has made us humans in a special way to, to, to follow Him, to have a relationship with Him. And then finally, spiritually, this kind of overlaps with the moral here, capacity of fellowship with God. All right, so God took some extra time to create man and woman in a special, unique way to show that He's... He's designed to have a relationship with them. All right, number five. God created time. God created time. Now, this one's a little bit hard to a little bit harder to to understand, actually. Um, that God created time. Because we are creatures of time. We we can't really live apart from time. We had a beginning on a specific day and a specific time. We go to work at a specific time. We we eat at a specific time and so on. And 
and we get older over time, but but there was a time, if this makes sense, when there was no time. Um, 2 Timothy 1.9 says that, that there was a time before the beginning of time Christ was given to us. There was, um, there was a time in which God existed before there was time. And, uh, and really, I was going to say that time is a human convention, but it's not really a human convention, but it's designed for us. That is, there will be a time when there is no more time. That God will, will take this period from the time of creation till the end of the universe, basically, and, and all that time will be done away with, and that's when we will be in eternity. That's when we will enjoy the presence of God. Those who are saved will enjoy the presence of God forever. And so this is important that God created time because it shows us that God, that God is Lord over time, that He is master over time. And that means that we have an obligation to God. Again, if He is the creator of it, if He is the master of it, that means that we have a responsibility uh, to God for our time. And again, what was our primary purpose in life? Why did God make us? To glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. So that means we need to use our time to glorify Him and enjoy Him. Number six, the Son and the Holy Spirit created, or uh, I think as I have it there, the Son and the Holy Spirit were not absent in creation. The Son and the Holy Spirit were not absent in creation. Now, when we speak of the Creator, we're, we're often referring to God the Father. And He is the primary agent in creation. He is the primary actor in creation. But the Holy Spirit and the Son were also active. Look at um, John 1 here on the screen. Again, this is a verse I just put up there. That through Him, that's speaking of Jesus, all things were made. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is called there the firstborn of all creation. There, it has the idea of of preeminence, that 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 all things were created by Christ and for Christ. Okay, so Christ was active in creation, and then of course look at Genesis chapter one, and you see the Spirit active in creation as well. Verse two. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay, so the Holy Spirit was active. Job talks about it this way. He says, um, Job 33.4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalmist says of God that when you send your Spirit that they are created, that is, humans are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And so we see the full involvement of the Trinity in the creative uh, activity, in the, in the creation. So the triune God creates. Any questions on 1 through 6? God speaks by His Word. He creates by His Word. He creates out of nothing. And uh, He creates time, Adam and Eve. And uh, he creates here uh, the, the entire, all three persons of the Trinity create. All right, number seven. 
God is distinct from creation. God is distinct from creation, yet He's always involved in creation, and creation is always dependent on God. Distinct, involved, and dependent. Distinct from creation, involved in creation, and dependent. Creation is dependent on God. All right, so creation didn't. Uh, the world as it exists, the universe and all that's in it, did not just come into being on its own. It's, it's not self sustaining. The stability of us as humans and, and uh, the universe being stable has to do with God's sustaining power. That if God ceased to be powerful, if God ceased to hold all things together, that the universe would stop existing. Listen to Paul in Acts chapter 17. It's up here on the screen here. Acts 17 says that He, God, gives to all people life and breath and all things. For in Him we live and move and exist. So, what is God's relationship to His universe? What is God's relationship to His universe? This is what we want to look at next. And there are... Uh, at least five different theory. Uh, there are at least five different views. Probably a better way to call it. Five different views of God's relationship to the universe. I'm going to begin with the biblical one, the one that we see in Scripture. Then I'm going to give you the four unbiblical ones, people outside that, that don't see the Scriptures as the authority. Okay. So first, transcendence and imminence. Those are big theological words. Let me try to explain them. Okay, transcendence has to do with God being separate from His creation. This is what we looked at last week when Jason was speaking in the afternoon service. That God is above His creation. That, that as, as vast as our universe is, it still is, is nothing. It's, it's like the whole universe can sit in the palm of God's hand. Okay? It, is, it is really nothing in comparison to God. God is far above his creation. That's the idea of transcendence. That that he is distinct from it. Uh, I talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago, called the creator-creature distinction. That there is a huge gulf fixed between God and his creation. That he is much greater than it. And he is independent of it. And he does, he doesn't depend. Remember, God gives to all life and breath. And and in Him they get their existence. They live and move and exist, Acts 17. Not the other way around. God doesn't get His existence from the creation. God doesn't have to, to draw some energy from the battery of the universe. Okay, so that's transcendence. Imminence has to do with... And this is a very powerful truth when you, when you think about it in light of God's transcendence. That is that God is near His creation. That although He is far away, transcendent, He comes down, He stoops down to our level and, and interacts with small little us. And if you didn't get a, the, a view last week of the size of yourself in comparison to God, then, then I think you missed it. But, but the great part, great news about God's universe and God's distinction from it is that He is not just separate, kind of just sitting back, folding His arms, what's going to happen next or who cares what happens next it is god is personally interacting with his with his uh creatures 
And uh, he's clearly involved in it. And the most clear way that we've seen him involved in it, obviously, is by him sending his son to to live on this earth, to be ridiculed by his own creation, and then to die for us. So God's not some abstract deity that's just removed and uninterested in his creation. Yes, he is separate from it, but he's also near it. Transcendence and imminence. All right. So let's look at some unbiblical ideas or views of God's relationship with the universe. Here's what other people postulate with regard to how God interacts with this universe. One is that there is no God. That's materialism. That all that exists is what we can see. Materialism. So let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow what? We die. Annihilationism, right? We go off into non-existence because there is no God. There's nothing outside of what we can see. And so, so live it up. Comfort, pleasure, and wealth. You see how when you, when you see God as a creator, you recognize now that there is a purpose and I have a responsibility. If you don't recognize God as a creator, this is how you live. Materialism. Secondly, pantheism. That is, everything that exists is God. That God is His creation. Okay, now... We certainly believe and are taught from the Scriptures that God is everywhere, that He is everywhere, but God is not everything. That's different. That's pantheism. Okay, The, the idea here is that God here and the universe do not have a distinct personality. They are one. And so God no longer is unchangeable. Why? Why would I say that? What's happening to the universe right now? It's changing, right? It's degrading. It's getting worse. And so God is not changing. God is changing according to this view. And He's no longer holy because the universe is filled with evil, right? So if the world is filled with evil then and the world is God, then God is evil. That's the idea of pantheism. Very dangerous uh, belief. Thirdly, dualism. Now this goes all the way back to Plato. Uh, Plato believed that there were two worlds, a good and a bad world, a spiritual world, that is the immaterial world, and then the material world. Okay, and this is the, this is the dualism that's there. So what he believed and what a lot of monks and thing, things believe is that we need, is that the material world is bad. That is, all these sins that we do, we do in our bodies. And so it's our bodies that are bad. And so this material world is evil and we need to get out of this material world. We need to, to somehow raise up to a, a higher spiritual world and, um, and all this material that has been made is, was, uh, was evil. Um, they, um, they reject Genesis 1. Okay? In Genesis 1 you have after each day or at the end of each day and behold, you know, it was good. And at the end, behold, it was very good. Okay, they reject that idea that God's creation was actually made good. They believe that it's evil and it needs to be done away with. They take some scripture from uh, from Revelation and say, well, the world is eventually going to be destroyed. See, so so therefore we see that the world is not good by by nature. And um, what that rejects is is the opportunity for us to glorify God in our bodies. 
See, the other thing that it does is it's actually created a whole um, set of other problems. A lot of these people thought, you know what, how I live in my body doesn't matter. So, I can be immoral, I can, I can speak wrong things, those are all done in my body. But see, in my spirit, I'm okay. It's different. I'm, I've got a, a good relationship with God and that sort of thing. But, but see, as people, as persons, we are not disconnected in that way. Our material from our immaterial, they, they, are, they are closely connected. And we can't distance ourselves from them. And we can't, uh, we can't deny that we can do good in, in our material body. Okay, that, I was double negative, so let me try to rephrase that. We can do good in our material bodies. Okay, we can't deny that fact. That God made us to do good. Jesus Christ had a material body and He did good with it. He did no evil, in fact. Okay, so that's uh, dualism or what's also known as Platonic, after Plato, Platonic dualism. And then fourthly, deism. Deism is the view that God is not presently involved in the creation. This is the idea that He's like a clockmaker. He made the world like a clock and then he just puts it out on the, on the storefront and lets somebody buy it and use it and he, he doesn't have any interest in it anymore. That's the way God created according to this view. That they deny that Christ is God. They deny miracles because God's not interacting in his creation anymore. He's created and he stepped back and now he has no interest in it. That's deism. Okay, And these run contrary to the biblical account and they deny God's superiority over His creation uh, at, at the most, and at the least, they destroy our relationship with Him. Alright, so, so God, God is distinct from His creation, yet He's always involved in His creation, and creation is dependent upon God. Alright, let me try to hustle through these last two there before we get to providence and and um, the decrees of God. God created the universe to show His glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that I have created for my glory. Okay, I mentioned this earlier. That God created the entire universe to glorify Himself and to show His glory to other people. To, we could say, reveal His glory to his universe. Psalm 19, very familiar verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. That as we look at the heavens, when we look at the stars and when we look at the sky, we, we are amazed at God's universe. We are amazed at his glory. I mean, you take one glance at the sun and you're amazed that God cre- could create something like that. You, you look at the impact of a tornado or a tsunami. You see how lightning just rips through a tree and breaks it like a toothpick and, and you have to be convinced of God's power. Um, or you can look at the wonder of a, a small leaf or a bug and see how God intricately designed those small things that God is in it all, that He created it for His own glory. Only God can do this. Number nine. God's universe was created very good. Okay, chapter 1, verse 4 of Genesis says that um, and, God separ- uh, and God saw that the light was good. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters He called seas 
and God saw that it was good. Then we get down to chapter 1, verse 31. After He creates all things, that's after creates men, man and woman, God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. That God looked on His creation with delight, with joy, just as He had purposed to do. And even though there's now sin in the world, the material creation is still good in God's sight and should be seen as good. And this will free us from this idea that we need to we need to get away from this material world. We need to climb up to a mountain and 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 build a pole that reaches up to the sky so we can get away from this this material world. Okay, Paul says that that is foolishness. In fact, it's the doctrine of demons to suggest that the material world is evil. Uh, things like forbidding marriage or abstaining from certain foods. First Timothy four, he says, which if you do those things those things which God created to be received with thanksgiving, then you are practicing the doctrine of demons. Okay, so so the idea that the material world is is evil is is invalid. All right. Let's see here. All right, let's move on to Providence and I'll try to give you opportunity for questions here at the end. Providence and the decrees of God there at the bottom. First, providence. When we speak of God's providence, we're speaking of God's ongoing relationship with the universe. Remember, what did deism say? That God created and then did what? Okay, just let it go, uninterested. Providence says that God created, and and this is what the Bible teaches, God created and now He still interacts with it. That He holds it all together. And uh, there are three aspects of His providence that we can we can look at. First is God's preservation. God's preservation. This term is used to say that God keeps all things existing and maintaining the the properties which He created them to have. Okay, that that God is preserving His creation. So, for example, we see. God preserving this wooden pulpit to keep the same properties that wood has, right? It's stiff and hard. When I knock on it, I don't expect my hand to go through it like jelly or or water, right? It's going to keep the same properties that it has until it's obviously uh, touched by fire or something, and then it will turn into ash, which God also designed it to do. In Scripture, oh, we see that Christ is upholding the universe. Hebrews 1.3, upholding the universe by the word of His power. And what's fascinating about that is that God, that God is holding all things together. Listen to this theologian, Louis Burkhoff. He says, It would not require a positive act of God's almighty power to annihilate created, created things. Okay? It wouldn't require a positive act. In fact, all it would require was him simply withdrawing his support, and it would naturally result in destruction. That is, that God is holding all together. If he let go, things would automatically be destroyed. Not the other way around, that God has to use an extra exertion of power or something. God is already exerting his power by holding it all together. Job 3 14 and 15 are good verses. For that. Secondly, con- concurrence. This means that God cooperates with the created things, that He directs their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. In other words, 
things that happened are first and foremost events that God causes to happen. And yet God works through them with their distinctive properties so that they bring about the, the results that they do. In Ephesians 1 it says that He accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. That uh, Acts 17:28 or Proverbs says, "In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord is the one who determines his steps." See, somehow God has a, has designed a way that He works with our free wills, our compatible free wills. That our free wills are compatible with God's sovereignty. That we still can make free choices, but God somehow overrules them. God causes them to to accomplish what He has intended to do. We don't fully know how this all works together, but the Scriptures put those two things together, that God is sovereignly in control of everything, that He accomplishes what He purposes, and we have free choice. We can, we can determine what we want to do. And that's all in keeping with God's plan. That's called concurrence. Thirdly, government. Okay, Where preservation and concurrence have to do with God caring for and working in, Government has to do with the fact that God is working to fulfill His purpose. That He has made a choice from the beginning what He wanted to do, and He's fulfilling it. Okay, This is how He governs. That's the idea. Don't think of like our human government, but, but think of how God governs. He leads. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes or governs all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to to his purpose. That's the idea there. All right, then finally, the decrees of God. Um, this, I just want to simply touch on this, show you that God has, from eternity past, designed what would happen. Okay, so providence has to do with what God is doing after creation. That He's getting His hands in there, His hands are getting dirty. He's He's working. He's making it happen. But but the decrees of God have to do with before creation. Before creation ever came about, this is what God determined to do. That's His decrees, His will, His choice. All right. Psalm 139 says that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one action ever took place in this universe, God had already planned it. It was already written in, as the psalmist says, His book. He already knew it was going to happen. And He has planned it all. There's no, And that means that in this universe, there is no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as luck. God's planned it all. The roll of the dice, okay, paper, rock, scissors, whatever. That's not really lucky. That's uh, <laughs> Those are all done by choice. But but the, uh, the drawing of straws, uh, that sort of thing, there's no luck. God's designed it all. Nothing random in the universe. No molecules bouncing off of each other and hopefully they just kind of align rightly so that that it works together. Okay, God's designed it all. All right, gone well past my time. Any closing thoughts or questions on God's creation and providence? All right, well, thank you for your attention. Uh, Next week we will look at the doctrine of man. Now that we've seen who God is and we've got a taste of that, now we can start to look at ourselves and see what God expects of us and what the Scriptures say about us. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed to our morning service. Father, You are the Creator and the Ruler of all. You hold all things together with the Word of Your power. And uh, apart from You, there has been nothing made that has been made. 
And so we attribute all that we enjoy in this life to you and to your creative act. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to acknowledge your worth and our responsibility to you because of your creative acts and that we would give ourselves fully to you, not to leave anything to chance, but to acknowledge that you are in it all and to submit ourselves wholly to you, that to enjoy you now and forevermore uh, in our bodies, in our minds, glorifying you with all that we do. We pray that you'd help us to consider how we ought to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.